Good afternoon, and welcome to the first episode of Enfleshed Bible Studies by Watch and Walk Ministry. My name is Ebenezer Edujemfi. In this epistle to the churches of Galatia, Paul told them that as many as were baptized in Christ are put on Christ. And then in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, when he was encouraging the Roman church about moral conduct, he asked that they should put on Christ, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and not make provision for the flesh. Um, because of what Paul said and because of what we know as believers, uh, we understand that we are supposed to embody the teachings of Christ. We're supposed to walk according to his work, uh, His words. But then how can we do that if we do not um, understand his teachings? How can we do that if we don't really read scriptures well? Well, Enfleshed by Watch and Walk is designed to help us uh, to get some lens, some interpretive lens, uh, to be able to understand the word of God and embody uh, the word of God in these times. We, you agree with me that if there's anything that is so important um, in this moment in our lives, in this pandemic, pandemic time, in this um, era of um, you know, riots and, and injustice, is the need for believers to put on Christ, put on the teachings of Christ. And that is what we are going to explore in the next um, eight weeks. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I'm very sure you're going to have a great time. To help us in, to do uh, justice to this particular issue, we have Cecily um, from Truett, an MDiv student from Truett. And um, Cecily is also a, a girls' a youth minister at Columbus Avenue uh, Church. And we have uh, Philip. A master of Divinity student. Philip is from India, but he's doing his Master of um, Music, I must say, Master of Music at Baylor School of Music. And then Eric is a PhD uh, candidate in church music at Baylor University. And we have Richard Sarpon, who is an uh, adult Bible study teacher and also a curriculum um, uh, develop, uh, development expert and also a training um, expert. So we are going to discuss um, the Word of God, and today we're just looking at the, the foundation. What, what does it mean uh, to be enfleshed um, with the teachings of Christ? And um, we're going to look at the relationship between Jesus Christ and His Word. And as we explore that, uh, we'll be able to know what it means to embody the teachings of Christ. And after that, the next eight weeks, we look at um, use this particular lens or this interpretive framework to apply to the Sermon of the Mount. So that is our objective today, and I'm, I'm praying and I'm very hopeful that you have a great time. Just join us with your comments. Uh, you can ask questions, but if we just want to build a foundation. I'm sure it's going to be a blessing. So to help us start, um, I'll ask uh, Jackson to pray quickly for us and for our audience and viewers who are joining us, quickly pray with us, and then we can start. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this day, for the opportunity to sit under your feet, to learn from you. We pray thanking you for the gift of community. We pray concerning uh, this lesson that your presence will abide, will tabernacle among us, that you reveal your glory to us through this study. Holy Spirit, we pray that you anoint our eyes, 
you open up our ears and Lord, you open up our hearts to receive these words. And we pray that those who will be tuning in to listen to us as well, to, to watch this broadcast will be transformed, um, to be drawn to you and to your presence in these difficult days. We praise your holy name and we thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you very much uh, for praying. Um, Cecily, today we're looking at John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. I mean, I put it out there. So those who watched, um, who've been following our scriptures, you know exactly what we are um, looking at. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. If you have your Bible, just grab it. Uh, Cecily is going to read uh, for us and then we jump in uh, to the discussion. So John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Wonderful. Yes. Read with me. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which comes, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who are born out of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, um, Cecily. Well, I want to start uh, with Eric. Um, we just want to look at the beginning um, the first one said that in the beginning there was a word, the word was with God. Um, just look at the first three verses and help us understand what the writer is really trying to communicate uh, with his people. Right, right. Um, I mean, looking at the scripture, there is so many things which comes to mind. I mean, the Bible says uh, in the beginning was the word. The first question which comes to mind is what is the word? What, 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 what do we mean when we talk about the word? And, you know, after doing some research, I realized that, you know, it's the Greek for logos or the spoken word or a statement. Something has been spoken, right? And then so John says that this word was with God and the word was God. So two things, two things. First, Jesus is God, which is the word, and exists from the beginning as God. And then two, his existence is somewhat distinct from God the Father. So there's two things. So he was in the beginning and he's also existing as God. Sometimes it's really, really, you might not really understand it from that perspective because it's like, how, how does this even work? How does he exist as God? And he's the same person who is existing in the beginning as God and different from God, the creator. This is actually what brought the, um, I think that the Trinitarian concept, right? But the thing is that there's so much confusion with that. So I want to, I'll break it down a little for us to understand. So the first one is, God, the Father, we need to be able to see the distinctions there. The, let, let's clarify this. So the Bible says God, the Father, is spirit. If you read John chapter 4, verse 24, the Bible talks about 
God the Father is spirit, and them that worship him should worship him what? in spirit and in truth, which means that with the creation which is flesh, with our physical dimension, it is impossible for us to be able to connect with God, who is spirit. So there has to be some kind of connection. So God the Father. Then also, God the Spirit is spirit. We cannot really see the spirit. If you read John chapter 3, verse 6, it says that, you know, uh, uh, Jesus Christ was telling Nicodemus that, you know, uh, the flesh is flesh. What is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. And he even gave this analogy of the, the spirit or the wind blows where it listed. No one knows where it goes or where it comes. So is the one who is born of the spirit. So you realize that the spirit is something invisible, right? We cannot see that. But then, so who, which role is Jesus Christ playing? Jesus Christ is playing God as the one who is the, the incarnate in the, in the flesh. We can be able to experience and see that God. But interestingly, if you look at it carefully, if you recount the Genesis story, you continue to hear, and, and God said, and God said, and God said, there's a statement. So you realize that God was speaking Jesus into creating the existence of the world. So Jesus is the one we see. and we, So I would say this, I'll say this, let's, let's take note of this. So we can say that Jesus, as God, is responsible for everything which is physical. Mm. Mm. So the Bible says, uh, all things were made by him and through him. Even Paul confirms this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. In short, it said he describes him as the express image of what? The invisible God. So it means that we can't see the invisible God, but we can see his express image, which is Jesus. You get the point. So in conclusion, God spoke Jesus as Jesus created the world. So we see that connection. So for us to be able to relate with God, even as the Bible says, like we're reading, for us to be able to relate with God, we need to be able to understand him from an invisible perspective. Okay. And the person which helps us to do that is Jesus, because he was also in the beginning. He was the spoken word. Mm, okay. Yeah. Wow. Thank you very much. Great one there. Um, Cecily, um, okay. Now let's look at the life in him. Uh, what what life is in him? What what does the Bible mean when it says that in him was life and then the life, the life was the light of man? Yeah, I the, we we see that in verse four, him was the life, and life was the light of men. I think when we often are thinking about the connotation of the word life and and light, that um, it illuminates something, it breathes in, it inspires us, and so we see the word of God, Scripture, our our holy sacred text is this inspired God breathed word, and so in the same way as we are interacting with the word of God in scripture and the word of God, as we see in Jesus who takes on human form that, that that breathes in um, life to our very bones. Mm. So we are so intricately attached to the life of, of Jesus and the life um, that is in him through the living God. And as a, a full human person that that illuminates our lives and brings life to us as well. Hmm. Awesome. Great, great, great. And um, now, Rich, let's look at that interesting statement um, in verse uh, five. So that light shines and then the darkness, they were not able to comprehend it. Help us understand that a bit. Um, 
I've not unmuted yourself. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah. I thought you can see the tension uh, between light and darkness mm -hmm. in that verse. Uh, uh, in education, we have something we call backward planning. Like, okay. if you want to plan a lesson, uh, you have to look at the outcome and plan from the outcome uh, to de determine what assessment or activities you will do. So when I look at verse 1 to 5, I see the same backward approach. The, the verse 5 actually summarizes 1 to 4. Uh, and that will help us to understand the tension that you see in that text between light and darkness. So let's look at verse 5. It says that light shines in darkness. Mm -hmm. And then, so the light illuminates uh, in darkness, within the space of darkness. And then darkness has not understood it. In some mm -hmm. translation, it says darkness has not overcome it. Mm -hmm. So that means that uh, here, whatever tension exists between light and darkness, light is winning. Mm -hmm. Right? Light... Uh, prevails over darkness. But the key thing is that how do we understand light and then darkness in here? And I want to, say in the, I want to stay in the text. Uh, as we've looked at already, uh, in the beginning we are told there was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And it says that he was with God in the beginning. Mm. So this word, is God, as we've said already, and that he was with God, and he was God. And then verse 3 says that through him, as Eric indicated, all things were made. And without him, uh, nothing was made. So this word is God, and he's the creator of all things. Without him, nothing was made. Hmm. And in this same person we are talking about, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Mm. Right. So if you if you look at that, it tells you that the reason light over overcomes darkness, or darkness cannot uh, understand or comprehend light, is that the in light, which is Jesus, who is the life, in Him is the life of all creation. Okay. Right. And for that matter. The word, I mean, if you read further, he came into the world, so the darkness is re reference to the world, the evil in the world, and all of that. And I'm looking at this text in reflection with us, current situation of COVID-19, where just one single virus, the whole world is in a standstill. Mm -hmm. right, so it talks about the power of that virus, controlling both the economic, social, religious, every aspect of our life. Mm. And I see here the light is doing the same within the space or the sphere of darkness, mm. that it overcomes it because this light is God himself and he has the life of creation in him mm. and he is life. And for that matter, there's nothing uh, that can actually overcome it. Mm. So that is how I see uh, why light uh, overcome darkness and darkness uh, find it difficult to understand mm. what this light is. Wow, thanks a lot. I, I remember uh, 
I, I kind of understand why Jesus said that he who believes in me uh, will not die, will not even see death. It's like you yeah. believe in him, it's like you have yeah. life, you know, imparted uh, into you and uh, your life cannot be overcome uh, even by the world or even a temporal um, world that we find ourselves. I mean, it's, 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 it's um, a great point. Thanks a lot um, for that. Now, Philip, um, help us understand, you know, verse five to nine, what, what can you tell us about this light that we are learning? Uh, what, can you, what, what, what can you say about the light? What do you learn? Yes, Ebenezer. Yeah, uh, when I was contemplating on this, uh, John 3.16 came to mind because it encapsulates uh, the whole substance yeah. of the Gospel of John in, in one verse, basically. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world yeah. that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Mm. And I think that the light that John talks about equals eternal life. It's not just life. Because when you just say life, it's kind of vague. But it's eternal life through the life of Jesus. And light and darkness are metaphors that John uses, you know, to represent eternal life, eternal death, you know, good and evil, so on and so forth. And, you know, when we go back to the creation story uh, in the beginning, you know, God created the earth, but it was void and without form. And in one of the most earliest creation acts, God creates light and God creates light and he calls it good. He separates it from darkness. He does not call darkness good. He calls only the light good. So for me, I understand that. From that, I understand light is a context in which life happens, mm. you know? Yeah. And also, I'll condense it to three things that light represents. It represents revelation, newness, and victory. Mm. Revelation because, you know, when you think of light, it reveals everything. Nothing can be hidden. There's no darkness that can exist in the fullness of light. Mm. So Jesus brings the final and complete revelation of God into the, into the world. And then secondly, newness. Uh, darkness seems to be the default state of everything. You go back again to the mm-hmm. story. In the context of darkness, light comes. So it alludes to the fact that sin is a default state of man. And then light represents something new, change, rebirth. Um, you know, we have the saying, a new day has dawned on us. We don't say a new night has dawned on us. Because a day, day represents something new. Yeah. No, night does not represent something new. So Jesus brings new life into the world. Mm-hmm. And finally, light represents victory. And, uh, you know, verse 5 says, darkness has not overcome the light. Mm-hmm. So the light is, is something that cannot be subdued. And if we as Christians have this light, darkness is, cannot subdue us. We subdue the darkness. Mm-hmm. We shine the light. And so, you know, those who live in the light of new life will not be conquered by death, but will rise to eternal life. So Jesus came, you know, to give victory, to conquer sin and death and to bestow power upon his people. So these are some of the things that I learned about yeah. light in, in that well, passage. Thanks a lot. Um, thanks a lot, Philip. And um, Jackson, yeah. if my memory serves me well, I don't think I introduced you pretty well, did I? Um, no. <laughs> just joined us. I mean, Jackson is a Ghanaian, uh, but he's doing a PhD in theology and ethics at Duke University in North Carolina. And yeah, so um, it's wonderful to have Jackson with us. Mm-hmm. So now, um, help us understand 
the distinction between well, the world and its own. Um, mm -hmm. I also kind of find it uh, quite confusing. He came to his own, his own rejection. So uh, what, what is the Bible saying over there in 10, 11 and verse 11? Yeah, and uh, thank you for the introduction. Um, before I delve into verse 10 and 11, I would like to piggyback, like go back to the verse 1. Mm -hmm. uh, where he says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Um, and I just oh. want to end there. Now, the with there is actually pros in, in the Greek. Mm. And it literally means it's toward, toward. It's not like just with, but it's toward in terms of orientation. It suggests motion that the word is always moving in the direction of God. Like it's always moving is is always moving in that direction so there's some sense of order there like it's ordered toward god oh. and so with that idea i want to then jump to the verse 10 and 11 where it says that he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came to his own and his own did not receive him so the word john employs for world here is cosmos hmm. and it literally means ordered system an ordered system yeah. Um, so as an ordered system, cosmos can refer to the world of nature. And nature, as is employed here, is what's primordially uh, God created by his word, like we, uh, Eric mentioned in, in, in Genesis. This world is ordered or oriented towards God. What this orientation towards God means is that creation or the world of nature finds its origin and ultimate meaning and purpose in God. Yeah. Um, why didn't the world then receive him? If it, because like uh, even when you have pets, they are able to recognize their owners. Like why is it that the world did not receive um, 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 the incarnate word when it was revealed among us? It is because of another sense of the ordering that John is drawing our attention to. In this sense, rather than a world infused or suffused with divine meaning and purpose, that is a world that is perpetually in active motion toward God. Yeah. We see a world that is ordered away from God. Our notions of time, politics, economics, education, and even religion are all ordered towards the maximum exploitation of, of the weak, the poor, and the natural environment. Uh, and this is the world we humans have fashioned with our own meaning and purpose to manipulate and control other humans in nature. And God transgresses or stands in opposition to this world we humans have fashioned to exploit others. Hmm. And the crucifixion, or as some have called it, the lynching of Christ on the cross, is therefore the ultimate revelation that the world's systems of exploitation can neither receive nor stand the presence of Christ. Mm. It must crucify him. These two senses of the world, that is the world ordered and oriented towards God and the world oriented away from God coexist in John's mind. And that's why you have that kind of confusion. Uh, what, what, why is it that in one sense, he made the world, everything that is in it. And yet on the other side, you also see that kind of confrontation is because he's using these cosmos in these two senses and ordering one order towards God and one ordering away from God. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So I mean, you, you. I mean, the point you are trying to emphasize is that 
um, because of our broken nature, our fallen yeah. nature, yeah. we have this uh, proclivity to just move away from God. And whatever e- God exactly. does, we exactly. it, we abuse it. Exactly. Uh, even though God has come to us and he wants us yeah. to um, come to him. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. And I think this highlights the inherent goodness of creation as well, because creation didn't stop being good. But the thing is yeah. that it is by own, uh, should I say, mechanisms, systems that we've put in place. And so when we look at the world, what do we see? We see this kind of tension. Like you have God, the world as we know it, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Creation reveals the glory of God. And yet we also have the imposition of our meanings uh, to to exploit and to manipulate others. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, um, great. Um, There's good news coming. Uh, It talks about power. I mean, those who received him. Um, Cecily, help us understand uh, quickly, what does that power refer to? What does that power mean um, when it talks about power? I mean, those who, who, who believe in he gave them power. What does that mean? Yeah, I, I think we, we see that heavily in, in verse 12. Um, I, I kind of emphasize what does it mean to, to receive and, and believe. And, and I think that goes back to the earliest con- confession, maybe the gospel in its uh, simplest form that we see uh, throughout the gospels, but then certainly in the conversion experiences and the book of Acts and, and Acts 2, the confession that Jesus is Lord, somehow receiving, receiving and, and believing that, to me, I think often of um, Luke's account of the transfiguration in chapter 9, that there's this otherworldly transcendent experience on a mountaintop. And the disciples there were left in a state of just shock and, and silence. And in a way, they receive that word. They receive the power and the transcendent experience on the mountain because then they go down into the valley and walk with Jesus all the way to Jerusalem to the cross. Yet they have no idea what they're doing. I mean, every time, every action that occurs on that road to Jerusalem is a complete surprise to them. They're overwhelmed all the time. And so I think part of receiving the word of God, this light and life we've been talking about and believing in it is to accept the power of walking on the road with Jesus and not knowing where my foot is going to land with each step, but continuing to go, continuing to go along the journey, even in the mystery of it all, even in the mystery of I don't know exactly what, what God's next step or next move is, but I have the faithful account of the truth and the life and the light of the living God that we see in Jesus. And so for me, that would then give us the immense power by full access to the living God. I've seen the power that that following God can have as the result of of our our scripture, as the result of seeing the God man Jesus. And so uh, to me that that's an encouraging word. And like I said, it's it's mainly the transfiguration that I go back to to, to mm. see the whole mystery of following God is at the same time um so overwhelmingly peaceful. It brings a sense of shalom to the world that I really can't experience in any other way. Awesome. Um, Thanks a lot. 
And um, what you said also, you know, brought something to mind that uh, when you give your life to Christ, when we re you receive um, Jesus Christ as Lord, it's more like an adventure. You know, you don't know where yeah. the next, you don't, it seems like you don't have any idea of how uh, it will turn out, but you have a good, you have a very strong conviction that it will end well because you are with him, uh, who is the holder and the creator of life. But you and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you quickly, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And I, I'm reminded of, I think maybe it was Stanley Hauerwas, but I was in an ethics class and we were talking about marriage. And um, my professor was saying, saying, you know, the thing about marriage and why we, we, we've had this covenant in front of a, a witness of people is that we're making a promise not knowing what we're promising. I have no idea. We, I have no idea what I'm promising this other person. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I have this cloud of witnesses in a sense. We also have this as, as Christians. We see in Hebrews 12, this cloud of witnesses who are going to hold me, are going to help me live this promise because we're all kind of walking into the mystery together. And so much like marriage, we make a promise with God and with other people, not fully noticing, knowing what we're promising, but thankfully we have the, the community of the faithful yeah. to help us in that promise. Yes, okay. All right, all right. Thanks a lot. Eric, um, quickly, um, help me understand the power. I mean, define the power, explain it in your own words. Those who receive him were given power. What is it? Help me. I'll mute myself here. Okay. Yeah. Hello, can you hear me? Go ahead. Right, okay. So um, when I was looking at that, um, power is an authority you have, you know, to operate in something. Okay. And then right is more or less like a license to operate in an identity. Okay. So basically for you to be able to, you know, operate in that identity, you need to know or understand what it is. Mm -hmm. The license to operate in his name comes after receiving him, like Romans chapter one verse 16 says, you know, you need to be able to have, it's a, it's a power of God unto salvation. So for you to be able to operate in that power, you need to receive it, right? It doesn't just come by, um, okay, well, confessing something, but it's a belief, it's an, it's an identity, it's an understanding, it's, it's a way of life, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of existing. You know, all these things are part of the package of knowing who you are. Because the point is, if you identify as something, you possess characteristics of that identity, right? Mm -hmm. If, if you are, if you see a lizard, a lizard behaves in a way, you don't see a lizard behaving like a fish, mm -hmm. right? So ba basically, that means that for you to operate in that identity, you need to be able to be aware and be conscious of who you are in that. So there are a few things which comes up, which means that one, you operate differently. It's extremely crucial or important because the point is that if you have a license, like the, the police, the police have a license to be able to uh, arrest criminals, right? Now, the thing is that if a policeman sees a criminal and is afraid to arrest that criminal, even as the criminal has you know, committed an offense. What do you think? It means that the, the, the policeman doesn't really understand what he possesses to be able to exercise that. Mm -hmm. I'm just giving an, an analogy, but you know, building that back into we as Christians, it is important for us to realize this because most of the times he said, as many, many as receiving to them, he gave power. People talk about this power, but it's like, well, they just talk about it as a spoken you know, statement. But the point is that do you identify with this power? Are you somebody who recognizes the fact that you are, you have been redeemed mm. and it gives you a different understanding? And that is the only way mm. you operate with everything which comes with having that identity. 
Jesus wow. Christ was an express, you know, image of God, and he operated in that image. When he came to earth, people didn't understand him. He was operating in wisdom. He was operating in knowledge. He was operating in power. He was doing a lot of things. And people didn't understand him because the understanding of the world's perspective mm. of uh, was the day of power in, in the case of Jesus. Like, if you consider some of these high priests and things, they felt like power is just about the name you were given, okay? Mm. I am the high priest, mm. and I throw this incense. I do that. But the power is something which is ingrained. It's almost like something which is in your DNA. You identify with that. Okay. So that makes a difference. Wow. Yeah. wow. Thanks a lot. Um, great. Um, so based on that, uh, 12 and 13, uh, Rich, um, before I, I, I kind of um, talk about this concept again, help us understand, based on what Eric um, and, and Cecily have um, said, how would you explain salvation? For people who are followed, probably watching, they are Christians, they you know, profess to be saved. Based on 12, 13, and all that we have, we have talked about, how would you explain the salvation experience? What really happens when somebody, somebody receives this power? Right. Uh, I think we've been trying to describe that experience. And like I saw uh, Cecily was struggling to experience how awesome how transformational uh, I mean you can find words to describe uh, what happens when you actually receive this life as Philip said it is eternal life right that is the life of God the creator of all, of all things as verse 3 clearly says but I can see there are two words here it says that to all those that receive in verse 12 uh, to those who believe in his name so receiving and believing, right, is what summarizes the, the new birth, right? So receiving as what? Like if I come to your house, I visit you, uh, you receive me as what? As a visitor or as a friend, hmm. right? So maybe you receive me as a friend. So Jesus, the scripture is saying, there to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, then he says he gives them authority or the right to become children of God. So those who have received him as who he truly is, mm. not have a high opinion of him, mm. or just, you know, people have some high opinion of him. He might be a prophet, he might be this, he might be that. You know, it's important that he asks his own disciples, what do people say I am? Mm. And when they, they started sharing the popular acclamations and descriptions of who he is. He comes to them and says, who, who do you say, who do you think I am? Who, who do you say I am? He points that question to the, the person. And that question goes to everyone who says they have believed. Hmm. You have believed by what? Receiving. Because says whoever receives him, comma, who believe him. So the believing is actually the receiving. You believe him, that means you receive him as what? Mm -hmm. What have you received him as what? As a prophet, as a Elijah coming? Or like Peter's revelation says, as a Messiah, mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as a savior of the world, as a creator of the world, as verse 3 says, as the one who was there in the beginning, mm -hmm. And the one who was God and who came 
in the flesh as human to save mankind? Is that how you receive him? So that is the whole idea of receiving this uh, right. And let me look at verse 12 and 13. There is something very interesting uh, about what happens. Mm. In verse 12, you see Jesus at work. In verse 13, you see God at work. And I want you to look at, I want you to look at that. It says that whoever receives and believes in him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. And that is in reference to Christ. And then 13 says, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So who is, given, who is doing the begetting? It's God. Hmm. And who is given the authority right, of receiving this life, which we say is eternal life, which is the life of the creator in you, that darkness cannot comprehend. And that is Christ, who was God, who was there in the beginning, and who came in the world in flesh and dwelt among us and died. Uh, I mean, we were going to the full of grace and all of that and died uh, for our sins and for our deliverance and our salvation. So, so it's, it's, it's an experience not just of uh, religious practices, uh, is an experience of relationship. And that is why I want, I want us to look at verse 12 and 2, where the emphasis is on a person. Mm. Someone gives you the right to become a child of God. Mm. And then verse 13, if you are born of him, of, mm. his, of his will. So my child came from me <laughs> by my own will. Yeah. So it resembles me. Yeah. It reflects my nature, right? So verse 13 says, uh, whoever received this right, this spiritual birth from Christ Jesus, have receives the nature of, Christ, of God and also be, uh, becomes the son of God, the child of God. Mm. And the awesome thing about when you say what happens is that God is your father. Wow. It's not some very far away person away from you looking at your wrongs and your goodies and your bodies and punishing you for your bodies is your father. Uh, I, I, it doesn't matter how many times my child fails, I'll still embrace him, right? I'll still receive him. Mm. And that is, that is the, the, the power uh, of salvation here, that you move away from being not a child of God, but being a child of God. Because it's clear on the preceding verses that those who did not receive him uh, his own did not receive him. They did not recognize him. But those who receive him are those who are recognized mm. or receive the, the spiritual birth of sonship, of sonship, of being children of God. Wow. So, so not all of us in this world are children of God. Mm. Everyone, we are the creation of God, but not everyone uh, is a child of God. But my question is, it says those who receive him are the children of God. Are you a child of God? I am. Because I've received him. Mm. And I believe him. And I receive him as who he truly is. That he's God. That he's the creator of this world. Nothing that was made that I see around me came into being without his consent. He gave birth and purpose to it. Mm. Awesome. And that includes me. That mm. includes me. 
He gave birth and purpose to my life. All right. right? He's my savior and he's my Lord. And, and for that matter, I have that right mm. of being of God being my father. All right. Thanks a lot. Now, um, uh, before I move to this whole idea of uh, grace and truth, uh, Jack, um, help me to also understand or help us understand uh, the reason why this word or this word incarnate came to, into the world. And also maybe explain the, its character or his character a bit. Mm, great. Uh, thanks so much. Um, so, like, um, if you look at verse 14, he said that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Mm-hmm. And again, here, I, I go back to the Greek word uh, John used uh, to describe dwelt, like what he used for the word dwelt. And it's eskinosen, which literally means to dwell as in a tent, to mm. dwell as in a tent. Oh. Um, and it's important, this imagery like raises a whole lot of, should I say, ideas for us to think about the character of the word. And not just that, even, the, but also our calling uh, to be ministers of the word, to be people who embody the word as it were as well. And so the image of the tent uh, evokes uh, the memory of the tabernacle mm-hmm. during the um, Israel's desert wanderings um, and wow. also the years prior to Solomon's temple. Mm-hmm. So during the wilderness wanderings, the tabernacle was set amid Israel's camp. Uh, therefore, the tabernacle was a visible, visible representation of the intimacy of God, the intimacy God sought with God's people. John is telling us that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that aspiration. And also the idea of the tent or the image of the tent uh, evokes ideas of unrestricted access to God uh, because tents don't have doors. Um, like if, you, if you've seen a tent before, they don't have doors. Uh, through Christ, God's people have unrestricted access to God and also the profundity of the temple of the tap, of the tent image is that Christ can make his home in any culture like if you're thinking about it and here I'm juxtaposing tent with tabernacle mm. like that tent with uh, sorry uh, a temple mm. um, so you have a temple being a permanent structure uh, but here you have the image of a tent which suggests movement Christ doesn't settle in just one particular culture. He moves. Uh, he embraces all. So he's a Christ for the whole world. He, he brings all under his uh, wings, as it were. No particular cultural group can say that they have an, a monopoly mm. on, on, on Christ he, because of the tent image. And also the image of the tent, I have already alluded to that, um, evokes images of exile. There's no static kind of thing. It's mobility. He's always moving. That also means that at one point, like uh, Christ can rope in all cultures and all people groups. But at the same time too, um, we can never say that culture in all its manifestations, in all its norms and givens can be a home to Christ. We've already said that uh, he was not received. So there's this flight. Christ is always in a way, in a flight away from our norms, our cultural givens, especially the ones that look um, that, that um, oppress 
and 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 stifle the freedom of of humanity and of nature as well. So Christ is also in in exile. He's he's never settles. He said that uh, foxes have holes, um, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. He's always in that kind of flight. And also this idea of the tent, um, Christ tabernacle tabernacling among us, tenting among us gives us a model of Christian mission. You see, that temple image says that, oh, the world should rather come to us, should come to the church, should come mm. to a structure. Mm. But the movement here oh. of the tent says that we go out into the world. We, we do not fear encountering the world. Mm. There are some Christians who think that the way to be a good Christian is to isolate, to insulate oneself from the world. But here, just as Rich was saying, that the light does, um, overcomes darkness. And so it is in that confidence that we go into the world. We do not fear that encounter. Christ has something to say about every single thing, whether politics, economics. We go out there in that confidence. And also, the word dwelling among us, um, putting on flesh to dwell among us, is a dignification of bodily existence. It says that flesh is not evil. Flesh is good. The body is good. The bodily existence has been dignified because Christ came to dwell among us. God in Christ was birthed through a woman. Therefore, it dignifies womanhood. God in Christ became a carpenter. Therefore, it dignifies human nature. He's he's dignified human labor. Sorry. God in Christ acts and embraced a stranger. Therefore, he's dignified the ministry of hospitality. Um, and it, so it, it, these are some of the things that I would say that uh, the dwelling uh, evokes and we need to really sit down. So the question that we should ask ourselves right now is that um, is our church, like uh, our church is embracing the temple mentality or the tabernacle or the tent mentality, the wow. one that goes out there. Are our doors open or are they shut in? So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot um, for that. Uh, that also reminds me of the story of the early church. They were, you know, tagged as people who were turning their world upside down, moving from place to place. So one of the key things that got them persecuted most of the time was because they were turning their world upside down. And interestingly, you never see this kind of static, stagnant, you know, concept of a church. Church just moving on. The Lord kept yeah. adding those who were, you know, believed, yeah. you know, the, the Lord yeah. kept adding. And exactly. So, so mightily the word of God prevailed. Like yeah. the gates of hate couldn't stand against the movement of the church of God. Mm. And that, that's a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, we're going to round up very soon, but we cannot do that without looking at the character. The Bible says that the word is full of grace and truth. Um, Cecily, when we, as we've talked about all these things, when we look at this idea that the word is... Um, full of grace and truth, this incarnate word that we're talking about, Jesus Christ, full of grace. How should that inform our reading of scripture? Um, what, what, what can you say about that? What, how should that really impact the way we approach the word of God? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be brief. I've so enjoyed and have been so impacted by what everyone has said here today um, that I'm just reflecting on what I often tell my students um, anytime we talk about God's word is that every time we open scripture, we know that we have work to do, right? When I read scripture, I walk away and know that this wasn't just for, you know, mere cognition, right? Just for me to have some nice thoughts and nice knowledge about God. 
Now we have work to do. Okay. So Jesus as the incarnate word being full of grace and truth just means to me that I am, I am welcome here and I can be changed here. So when I come to scripture, but then also just come myself, bring myself to the living God through prayer mm. that I know as, as, as Richard has said that God really extends a hand of grace well before that of wrath. So I know I'm always welcome to come here and the powerful hand of God. There's truth here. I can trust God. I can trust this incarnate Jesus and what scripture reveals about him. And that doing so approaching God through Jesus leads to transformation. So the idea of we have work to do the idea that power as, as Eric said, power and is, is tied to our identity that I can take this on and be a part of a global community, a global Christian community where we work together in unity uh -huh. to change not only hearts, but our world, you know? And so for me, this is for, for Jesus to, and, and John to write as, as Jesus, the word of God is full of grace and truth. It's such an empowering message where I'm, I'm welcome and change can happen and that God, the greatest act, I think, of love, maybe even more than salvation to me, is that, is that God, through salvation, calls us to be participants, that I'm not just a bystander, that I participate in the, the powerful community and, and kingdom of God. So that, that is what yeah. as being full of grace and truth means to me. That's great. Um, I give one minute to Philip um, to help us um, any other thoughts on that and also maybe uh how we should be what kind of persons should we be uh, as we step out into the week as people of god uh, if we think about grace and truth you have any uh, quick advice for us yeah uh you know it's interesting that jesus is described as being full of grace and truth because in jesus we have the most approachable sort of access to God. <laughs> uh, when you compare it to Old Testament God, he seems unapproachable. He seems very rigid. It's the law, the Mosaic law, which only can be fulfilled through sacrifices. But, you know, with the sacrifice of Jesus, we're in the age of grace. And, mm. you know, we should take comfort in that grace. It woos us to God. It enables us to live in uh, the power of God to fulfill mm. the commands. Okay. And it's a great sustainer. Okay. So grace woos us to Jesus, to God, mm. and he gives us strength, encouragement, healing, and hope. Okay. You know, and he enables us to live this life mm. in the light, okay. to fulfill the law. It no longer is it sacrifices, but it's just accepting, believing in Jesus, walking in the light, and he sustains us as well with okay. provision, protection, and his promises. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't uh, look, uh, read today. We just wanted to establish the foundation. And um, I believe those who are watching or those who are going to watch, uh, you've heard a lot. I think our, our objective today was to just um, help you understand or help all of us understand that the Word of God is a person, right? Uh, the Word of God is a person full of grace and truth. So when you're approaching the Word of God and you think about the personality of this word of God, then you, your, your idea or your desire is that as I am going into this word, I am praying that I'll be able to embody these teachings so that my message, my words, and then my actions will be one. You know, and that is, that is my prayer. And that, it makes it simple, it becomes simple when you understand that it's just full of grace and truth. And um, if you just look at the word of God that way, it helps a lot.
Uh, we are in a time where, because of that imbalance between grace and truth, a lot of things are happening. Uh, when you just dwell on truth without grace, you can, you can go off. And we can see that all over our world, especially in America right now. Um, uh, truth will just cause you to do something, arrest people and do things in a way. But uh, if you don't also uh, approach it or respond to what is happening, you want to go, go the way of truth alone, you can also destroy and, 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 and hate uh because you lack grace you know and and that's that's my prayer to all of us as we move into this week and to the next week uh, my prayers that will be people of grace and truth and we understand that the word of god is a person so that as we are studying we are studying so that we'll be transformed uh, even into the image of of the lord um jesus uh, thank you very much uh, eric cecily uh, rich um philip and Jack uh, for, for helping us start this on a very good note. I'm sure as we apply this lens of grace and truth and the word of God in person and embodying the word of God next week and the weeks ahead, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be a great time. And a lot of people are going to be blessed and as we even delve into it more. Uh, before I end, I'll just talk to people who are listening, who, who are not children of God. Richard said that everybody's a, crea- a, crea- a creator, I mean, created or a creation of God. Everybody is, uh, uh, you know, loved by God, but not everyone is a child of God. That is very, it's a bold statement, but that's the truth. And so if you want to be a child of God, some of these things that we're talking about, you might not really understand it, but if you want to be a child of God, receive Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Savior, acknowledge that you are a sinner, and then learn to put on Christ. Let the Holy Spirit come into you and then learn to put on Christ by embodying the teachings. And that is how you walk as a child of God. It's very important because in, in, the, in our world right now, in this season of pandemic and uh, uncertainties, you don't want to live a day without being assured or being convinced that you are truly a child of God. Um, so that is, that is my encouragement uh, to you. So if you want to receive Jesus Christ, just pray to him and acknowledge him as your Lord and Savior. And God would, by, by his spirit, come into your life and then he would you know, lead you on that adventurous journey of grace and truth. Um, this is where we bring our first edition of um, Enfleshed at uh, Uh Today we looked at John chapter 1, verse uh, 1 to 14. And I said next week we'll be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Join us again next week at 12 p.m. Central Time. And if you're in Ghana, um, it's 5 p.m. Join us. As I said, I apologize that we couldn't read your comments today. But next week, I promise I'll give you reserve some time to just listen to you. Uh, and, and then just uh, read what you also have to share. God willing, we'll meet again. And until then, and flesh, grace, and truth. Bye-bye. Yeah.